The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby, presenting Book Two, The Hunt, The Mirage Returns, Part Two, written by Steve Libby, read by Veronica Jaguer. Before she returned to their table, Fata made a tour of the speakeasy. The age-stained wood, flickering bulbs and backlight wall sconces, and leather upholstery were reminiscent of her experiences in retro-flavored restaurants, but with an added layer of dinginess that no contracting company would undertake to imitate. The denizens of the speakeasy would have to be actors with the support of a remarkable costuming department. She brushed her fingers against the walls, where wooden panels had the fine grain of old-growth timber. If it was fake, it was a minutely detailed, multi-million-dollar effort, and could not have gone unnoticed in her city. Which left the other possibility, that it was, in fact, an illusion, one with very sophisticated tactile components. She sniffed the air. It reeked of cigar smoke, cheap booze, and cheaper perfume. Her vision was perfectly clear, even when she stood as far from dusk as she could in the building. No blurring, no artifacts, no lack of focus on elaborate textures. The patrons eyed at her as she studied the wall from an inch away. All illusions utilized processing power, just as a computer-generated animation did. If the speakeasy, and 1930s Chicago outside, were psychic products of Dusk's mind, he was far, far off the charts. She didn't even have to test the bystanders to know that. The alternative was an actual reality warp. She extended faith to matters divine, but reality alteration was only hypothetical. Echo's best researchers divided bitterly over the plausibility of such a notion, and those who argued for it were often accused of deriving their formula from comic books. Nevertheless, she had been able to contact Alex Tesla through the archaic phone service, so somehow Dusk's reality overlapped conventional reality. Philosophers would have be having a field day with this, if they were sure they would be able to return home. Fata passed the bar as she crossed the room, and noted with satisfaction that every male head turned to watch her. There were advantages to this reality, she had to admit. Her moment of glory was short-lived, however. The woman who had taken her chair was, by any standards, a stunning beauty with cheeks carved from alabaster and topped with golden hair to fit the mold of any white man's fantasy lover. A fur coat failed to conceal the form-fitting evening gown that appeared to be painted onto her perfect body. Simple, elegant, bias-cut dress of heavy gold silk satin, with no jewelry. Dusk gave this woman the same charming, confident smile he wore when he flirted with Fata. A brief wave of jealousy washed over her, to be replaced with curiosity. If this was Dusk's reality, what was the purpose of the blonde woman? Or Fata's makeover, for that matter? Mere ego gratification? Sexual conquest? Ah, my colleague returns. Dr. Dusk rose and bowed. I will summon the barkeep for another chair. Fata Morgana, please meet Miss Helena Robinson. Fata offered her hand. The blonde woman remained seated. After a meaningful pause, she gave Fata a curt nod, hands still folded primly in her lap. Her ice-blue eyes seared into Fata's with utter contempt, 
more than an ordinary female territorial claim would warrant. Miss Helena Robinson despised Fata on first sight, and screamed it with every ounce of body language she had. Charmed, she said aloud. Nice to meet you, Fata said. She caught herself as dusk left the table. Where are you off to? To fetch you a chair, my dear. Miss Robinson has a dilemma for both of us to solve. He nodded to Miss Robinson, forced riding off with an unconscious throw of his cape. Fata and Miss Robinson faced off. So, you're his employee, Miss Robinson said. We work in the same field, breaking heads. Fata emphasized the words. What's your story? The bombshell blonde, for that was precisely the role she had in Dusk's pulp world, rearranged her crossed legs. I have already explained it to Dr. Dusk. Why should I repeat myself? Why, indeed? Miss Robinson might be nothing more than a figment of Dr. Dusk's imagination, but she was already pissing Fata off. Whether it was foolish to be angry at a potentially non-existent entity or not, Fata's blood began to boil. Dusk appeared with a rickety wooden chair. Fata snatched it from his hand and sat down, never backing away from Miss Robinson's glare. Finlian, Doc, your new client isn't exactly forthcoming. He laid his hands on the table. Miss Robinson is an heiress who has come to the attention of some unseemly types. Your fool society, in fact. If she does not produce a ransom, they will expose her, shall we say, social calendar, to the public and complicate her reputation. Miss Robinson cut him off. I have been paid court by men of questionable character. It would not do for word to get out. I think I know which word you mean, Fata smirked at her. But if the fool society's involved, it behooves us to act, especially if it's the real fool society. Dr. Dusk tilted his head. You believe them to be impostors? Uh, no, not exactly. Never mind. I'll help you save the heiress's wrath and fuss over particulars later. I don't require your assistance, Miss Morgana. And I didn't offer it to you, sister, only to the duck. I'm with him. She winked at Dusk, who blushed slightly. Make him a friendly, Tesla had ordered. Fata hoped she could win Dusk's trust before she had to find a way to kill him. There is one slight complication. Miss Robinson spoke to Dr. Dusk as if Fata were absent. The evidence is photographic in nature. They wish me to deliver a satchel of money to an abandoned steel mill in Gary. Typical, Dr. Dusk said with a twinkle in his eye. The scoundrels skulk in the shadows. Little do they know that Dusk itself is a shadow, and in it I am the master. He took Miss Robinson's dainty hand. Tell me, my dear, when do they expect you to make this payment? In two hours. I have the money in my car and the address. 
she broke down into a fit of sobbing. Dusk patted her hand. They will leave me destitute, doctor. A pauper. I never wanted this to happen. Never, never, ever in my worst nightmares. Cry your tears, my child. They will cleanse the taint of evil from your innocent eyes. Meanwhile, Dr. Dusk. He winked at Fata. And his adept colleague will end this extortion racket. Sure thing, Fata agreed. Let's scout out the drop-off spot. Odds are the thugs will be hiding just in case Blondie here calls the cops, right? Dusk gave a nod. Precisely. Fata watched him carefully as he answered her. Was he consciously or unconsciously altering his pulp reality to match his expectations? What other possibilities could she suggest? I detect the hand of the Crimson Vulture in this. She coined the moniker off the top of her head. Bottom feeder extortion is his M.O. Miss Robinson scowled at her, but Dusk pursed his lips in thought, already at work on a plan. Agreed. We must then take steps to ensure that his strongman, Der Zeigelsteinwand, is suitably incapacitated. Der Zeigelsteinwand. The brick wall, if she recalled her college German properly. Dusk had taken her riffing seriously, and added his own. She decided to shut up before he invented an entire battalion to stand against them. His world wasn't entirely self-contained. Her conversation with Tesla was proof of that. But she couldn't know whether he was remixing consensual reality or adding his own cast. She did know that events in Dusk's world could have fatal consequences in her own. Five hundred Nazi troopers had given their lives to prove that. Fata shut off her headlights for the last mile, and finally pulled over on the shoulder. Miss Robinson was far behind them, miles back, awaiting the designated hour to make the drop. Dr. Dusk exited her car with a dynamic flutter of his cape. As silly as it seemed, in the dark night the black cape provided excellent camouflage. Fata herself was forced to wear the skirt and heels Dusk's powers had created for her. In his mind, of course, she was but a plucky sidekick and romantic interest, on hand primarily to provide drama for his tableau. At what point would his powers alter her behavior? Were they already? The gravel crunched under her heels as she forced herself to balance on the absurd shoes. "'Do not tarry,' Dusk called from the bushes at the side of the road. All she could see of him was a glint from his doctor's reflector. Together, they trudged through the back lots of the Gary Industrial Zone. The air reeked of soot, chemicals, and smoke. What foliage they passed had been struggling for life in the polluted soil. Environmental regulations were decades away. Dusk made a point of peering out from behind building corners, while Fata simply wished she could have brought a pair of Echo UV binoculars. Adventuring in the early twentieth century was hard work. Her ankles ached. Can't you conjure up some Nikes for me? Excuse me? Never mind. I was hoping you'd drop the act for a moment. You do realize we're both from the twenty-first century, right? Your fanciful talk only endears you to me more, Fata. When this caper is over... I hope you will permit courting from a man of mystery.
Honey, they're all a mystery. Still, her cheeks burned from the sweetly bizarre overture. But you can call me sometime. I thank you. He laid a hand on her arm. Be still. Our target is ahead, decked out with a set of guards. The abandoned mill squatted on the land like a desiccated insect. Most of the windows had been shattered, a few boarded up in a futile gesture. Piles of boards rotted in the yard. An exhaust chimney soared into the black night. At a side entrance, two square-jawed men in equally squared-off overcoats balanced Thompson machine guns in their hands, complete with the circular ammo clips. Dr. Dusk pressed a pistol stock into Fatta's hand. This will prove more effective than your Derringer. Fire only if necessary. Stealth is our weapon tonight. After you, bud. But Dr. Dusk had already vanished. In the moments, a dark shape rose up behind the two guards. Dr. Dusk clobbered one with a blow to the head and the other with a kick to the stomach. Fata found the brief altercation strange. Neither strike seemed powerful enough to render a foe unconscious, judging from the impact vector, yet the thugs dropped anyway. Enhanced strength would have thrown the victim back farther. A nerve strike had to hit an actual nerve cluster. To see Dr. Dusk topple the two guards was more like watching a period detective movie. Moving as quietly as she could, Fata joined him at the door. He had already deposited prescription justice notes on the goon's chests. Nice work, she said. A doctor tends to his patients. Dusk wiped his gloves in satisfaction. Shall we? He opened the door and stepped inside nonchalantly. Holding her pistol in both hands, Fata performed a quick scan of the corridor, then followed him. They were a comical pair. Dr. Dusk alternately strutting and skulking through the dimly lit mill, Fata advancing as carefully as she could using her law enforcement training. Her heart thudded against her ribcage, an indicator of how long it had been since she had seen combat. Every shadow in the cavernous space seemed to hide an Aryan thug. And if Dusk's powers only masked reality, what seemed to be a mere thug might well be an eight-foot armored trooper taking aim with an energy cannon. Dusk's illusory weapons might fell a trooper, but there was no guarantee such efficacy extended to her. At that moment, Fata very much missed her metahuman ability to turn invisible. You have an appointment with justice, Dusk bellowed, charging forward onto the mill floor. A dozen fool flunkies, Fata could think of them no other way, gasped as he launched himself into their midst, fists flying. Those that could squeeze off shots missed or struck their comrades. The others fell to Dusk's uppercuts, left hooks, shoulder slams. His style lacked finesse. With Echo, she had seen elegant martial artists defeat a dozen opponents in the same circumstances. But there the resemblance ended. Her colleagues relied on training and speed, whereas Dusk simply knocked them about like bowling pins as they stumbled over each other to reach him. He wasn't a superior combatant. Rather... Their ability diminished to a caricature of fighting. A boot scraped the concrete behind her. Fata spun to face a full flunky, machine gun in hand. Instinctively, she threw a left-handed block at the barrel. 
Instead of retaining her stiff open-hand form, her fingers wrapped around the barrel and shoved it aside. Her movement had altered in mid-arc against her will. Dusk's reality even transformed karate moves. Regardless, the thug grunted with surprise. My God! Fata decided that was good enough and smashed her pistol against his temple. He collapsed at her feet. Well, that answered one question. Dusk was still in the midst of a pile-up of thugs. Fata hemmed the Thompson and leveled it at him. If his reality-warping powers could empower his fake punches, it would surely protect him against a spray of bullets. She unloaded the clip on the Nazi guards. Screaming and bleeding, they fell away from Dr. Dusk. He straightened and gave her a snappy salute. Impeccable aim, my dear. I got your back, Doc. Shall we find the Crimson Vulture? I suspect we need not look much further. He pointed at a catwalk. Gunfire and stealth hardly mix. Above them, a stiff man in a crimson military uniform regarded them through a monocle. Cruelty had red furrows around his evil smile. Why am I not surprised at your interference, Herr Doctor? In the shadows, a wide form lurked. We meet again, Crimson Vulture. Fata shook her head in disbelief. She raised the machine gun to fire off a round, but Dusk waved her back. In spite of herself, she could not pull the trigger. The Crimson Vulture chortled with appropriately villainous amusement. Thy risk your life to protect the reputation of a hypocrite such as Fraulein Robinson. Is it because you are honor-bound to help the weak? You know it to be true, Vulture. Predatory scum like you are contraindicated for society's well-being. I'm here to apply the cure. You and your negro cleaning lady. Do not make me laugh. Hey! Fata shouted up at him. Easy with the racism, dirtbag. Where I come from, that kind of talk earns a busted face. Then let me send you back to where you come from. Crimson Vulture crooked his finger. The hulking form stepped into the light. Der Zeigel Steinvon, a man no less than six feet wide, hairless, his shirtless form peppered with scars. He flexed his hands in their spiked leather gloves. Der Zeigel Weinstein, kill the Schwarz. Der Zeigel Steinvon vaulted over the rail. The concrete floor resonated with his impact. Spittle flew from his lips as he babbled to himself in German. Fata emptied her clip into the metahuman's chest. Der Zeigel Steinvon flinched as the bullets bounced off his chin. He shook his head like a dog and kept coming at her. Above, the crimson vulture cackled maniacally as he fired one shot after another from a pair of lugers. Dr. Dusk dashed towards the stairs, dodging the gunfire with flips and rolls. His cape furled around the bullets in a physically impossible way. Little help here, Doc! Fata backpedaled from the Nazi strongman. She brandished the pistol at him. The man dubbed the brick wall laughed harshly. Doc! Dusk had gained the stairs and began to return the vulture's fire. I have 
faith in you, Fata. Dispatch of the fiend while I apprehend his master. Just like a damn pulp, Fata lamented. Let the sidekicks duke it out. Only this sidekick is the size of my damn car. Screw this. Fata bolted. Der Zeigel Steinvon lumbered after her, his bowed, thick legs unable to keep pace with her newly rejuvenated physique. The vastness of the mill building dwarfed the massive wood saw, twenty feet tall and topped by a catwalk. A saw? In a steel mill? Nevertheless, for a proper pulp-type battle there had to be a massive saw, so a saw there was. The conveyor belt had long since snapped, leaving the exposed rollers to brown with rust. The ten-foot saw blade was itself mottled by years of neglect. Fata could see a control booth perched above the saw. She diverted her course towards the machine, fetching a near miss from Derzigo Steinbahn's thick hand. A few electric lights shed a dim light from their brackets in the ceiling, so the electricity still ran through the old mill. What were the odds that the aged contraption could still operate? Distant, to be sure, but this was Dusk's world of possibility. Fata leapt up onto the conveyor belt. A lug wrench as long as her arm had been left near a gear assembly, waiting to finish its job after all these years. Fata seized it. The metal felt solid and reassuring in her hands. And light, an indication that her metahuman strength had been restored as well as her youth. She made her way over the uncertain footing of the conveyor rollers. Der Zygel Steinvon clambered over the machine after her. His clumsy bulk made navigating the rollers a greater challenge, but his twelve-foot arm span allowed him to balance on both sides of the cavity. He shouted at her in German, gravelly words she didn't need to recognize to understand. A metal ladder hung from the control booth down to the conveyor. Der Zygel Steinvon was too close for her to ascend without exposing her legs to his lethal grip. Fata danced forward and smashed the lug wrench into his kneecap. Finding no purchase on the loose rollers, his footing escaped him. He fell onto his back like a turtle. As he elbowed his way back to his feet, she bounced up the ladder with the urgency of a fleeing cat. The strong man grabbed the bottom rung and yanked. The rusty bolts holding the ladder in place shattered. Fata cried out as the ladder tore away from its moorings. She snatched the railing just in time and hauled herself over the edge. Derzigel Steinvon battered the space where she had been with his new club. Though the skin on the nape of her neck prickled with fear, she turned her attention to the controls. Someone had partially dismantled them. Wires jutted out from holes where gauges had been, yet a very conspicuous red button had been left untouched. When in doubt, press the red button. She slammed her fist down on it. The saw coughed diesel smoke and protested mightily. Yet the rollers began to turn, and the saw blade began to spin up to speed. The clangorous bashing ceased for a pregnant moment. A movement out of the corner of her eye caused her to duck. The remains of the ladder sailed mere inches over her head. You want a piece of me? Come on up. She stuck her tongue out at the strongman while Der Zygel Steinvon roared a brutal-sounding Teutonic curse. Fata ducked back from the edge, took her wrench back in hand, and crept out onto the catwalk that stretched over the whirring saw. Decayed metal groaned under her weight. The catwalk sagged menacingly. Der Zygel Steinvon tore a handful of rollers out of their housing and threw them at her. They clattered against the underside of the catwalk. 
Fata flattened to dodge those that would have brained her. She reached an arm over the side to squeeze off some shots. Der Zeigel Steinbahn made no effort to evade her gunfire, simply allowing the bullets to bounce off his skin. I kill you, he growled. Der Zeigel Steinbahn flexed his legs and leapt towards her. His arc carried him onto the catwalk. It shook with the impact of his massive body. Bolts snapped. Fata scrambled away from the giant as he put arms out to steady himself. A shard of metal ripped her dress. The ancient catwalk had taken too much abuse. The German thugs swung a meaty paw at her, rattling their perch further. Fata rolled forward over the fragmenting metal girders to come up on the other side of the dip. Thank God for my foul-mouthed German teacher, she thought. Your mother slept with dogs, she told Derzago Steinbahn with a nasty smirk. The brute howled out his anger and lunged at her. His footfall strained the catwalk to the limit. Fata's lug wrench smashed down on the last beam holding them aloft. With a mournful wail, the metal gave way and plunged them both into the void above the spinning saw blade. Fata, however, had secured a grip on the rail before making her move. Der Zeigel Steinbond had no such warning and hit the blade head first. His body weight pressed his skull against the teeth of the blade until his invulnerable hide split open. Blood, bone, and brains sprayed the saw with a gory crimson patina. Der Zeigel Steinbond's scream was lost in the whine of the saw. Fata commanded her gorge not to rise at the disgusting tableau. She climbed back up the catwalk and around to the rear of the machine. From there she could see the main chamber where Crimson Vulture's flunkies had been defeated. The Vulture and Dr. Dusk were nowhere in sight. The walkways encompassing the mill floor were spotted with dark doorways, and one lit with a sickly yellow light. A shadow passed before the door. Fata made her way along the rotting catwalks to mount the sturdier walkway with a sense of relief. Watching for gaps in the boards, she advanced towards the lit room. Shouts and footsteps alerted her to the presence of dozens more Nazi flunkies on the mill floor. The vulture must have gone for reinforcements. Was it common practice in the pulp world to bring an army to blackmail a slutty debutante? The lack of proportion suggested Dusk's reality powers were being given a more core material with which to work. Was the brick wall an invention of his mind, or an illusory disguise for a real-life opponent now dead at Fata's hand? She pressed up against the wall, pistol in hand. Across the way, shadows played in the lit doorway. Had she still possessed her metahuman power, she could have strode fearlessly past the Nazis and into the room. Now she had to make use of the darkness, angles, and alert timing. Crouching to make the width of the walkway conceal her from floor-bound onlookers, she crept towards the light. Gunfire erupted on the floor. Dr. Dusk had ambushed the guards, guns blazing, cape flowing through the air as he performed impossibly acrobatic evasive maneuvers. Fata took advantage of the fracas to sprint the rest of the way to the door. She fetched up against the frame and took a quick scan of the room. A single light bulb illuminated what had been an office. Miss Robinson stood over a table covered with black and white photographs. Those she held up to the light evoked old-fashioned pornography. "'I'm not impressed,' Fata announced. Miss Robinson spun around, fury in her eyes. "'What's your game, lady?' 
the blonde woman relaxed. No game. I simply prefer to retain control of my own life. She showed Fata an envelope of negatives. The nightmare ends now. Nightmare, huh? So how many men have to die for a few cheap nudie shots? Miss Robinson's leer could have frozen a river. As many as it takes. Will you escort me out of this dreadful place? Fata gritted her teeth. Her duty was clear in spite of her distaste for it. She gave the woman a curt nod and leaned out of the door to assess a clear escape route. The hairs on the back of her head bristled for a moment, then something hit her head with world-ending force. Everything went white. She barely felt the floor as she collapsed upon it. Nine, nine. Crimson Vulture's voice woke Fata from her daze. She cracked open one eye to glimpse the gaping maw of a gun barrel aimed at her face. Beyond the barrel was the blurry image of Miss Robinson. I should kill this fort now before dusk arrives. The voice from behind the gun belonged to a man's throat, speaking husky German that Fata could barely comprehend. The next exchange came too fast for her to follow. The vulture seized her hair and dragged her out of the doorway. Pain laced from Fata's head to travel down her spine. He comes, the vulture said. Actun! The vulture covered Fata with his pistol while Miss Robinson took up her same position at the table as she had when Fata found her. From Fata's perspective, prone in the corner, Miss Robinson's gun was visible, tucked under a glossy photo. The sounds of fisticuffs outside the door heralded Dusk's arrival. Fata wanted to warn him, but she could not move without being killed. Reflexively, she searched her mind for the trigger to her lost powers. Something came loose. She had been trying to recover her ability for a decade, coming up against the same mental wall with every attempt until she was accustomed to the blockage. Perhaps it was the head trauma, but the wall now had a crack running its course. With desperate mental fingers, Fata pried stones out of the wall. Dr. Dusk leapt into the room. He holstered his guns. Miss Robinson, what are you doing here? I'm so ashamed, Miss Robinson sobbed, her voice female again. My dear, you no longer fear public humiliation. I have bested... Miss Robinson whirled around and expertly put two bullets into his chest. Astonished, Dusk fell to the ground like a rag doll. His head came to rest facing Fata. She opened her eyes to meet his fading gaze. Sorry, Fata, he gasped, drooling blood. Tears blurred her vision as she watched him convulse and die. The vulture chuckled and pressed the gun barrel against her temple. All at once, the room shifted. What had been a wooden floor transformed into moldy acrylic carpet. The antique desk was now a cheap particle-board table. The mill had been a real mill but one built in the 70s. And the vulture was no flimsy pulp villain. In his place stood a huge figure armored in blood-red alloy. Every joint swept out to a wicked spike. He was lethality incarnate. 
The pistol had stretched out into an improbable medieval lance with a gun barrel in the tip that breathed heat upon her in anticipation of a fatal belch. His black velvet cape draped over her form. When the knight leaned over for a look at her face, his golden dagger over swastika insignia glinted in the dim light. His smile was as sharp as his armor. Do you see how the Thule society takes revenge upon those who stand in our way? Even the most powerful of your soldiers has fallen before our superior intellect. Miss Robinson came into view. Her body had begun to reshape itself, flesh flowing from hips and breasts into masculine muscles. Her facial features contorted of their own volition as she, now he, spoke. Really? Can Echo be so clumsy? Our conquest should have begun decades ago. The metahuman she recognized from the reports out of Atlanta as Doppelganger started to unbutton the dress he had worn as a woman. A Nazi soldier, no longer disguised as a street thug, brought in a fresh uniform on a hanger. They are ready for evacuation, sir. Doppelganger shrugged into the jacket. Fiedersher blanc I miss the Fräuleins of New Hyperbia. Yeah, mein Captain. Blutnetsch snapped off a salute, the notorious Sig Heil. Fata stifled her fear of death. The Nazis' chatter had given her time to explore the new avenues to her mind, behind the wall that had obstructed the trigger for her metahuman ability. Though it had been years since she exercised it, there was no time left to experiment. As Blutnetsch directed her attention toward her, she pressed her will forward to the place she believed the trigger resided. Activate, she willed. Hide me. A familiar shiver passed through her body. Her hand and sleeve disappeared. She was bending light around her, a walking Fata Morgana, a living mirage. She was invisible. Vlutnik exclaimed in alarm. Fata rolled away from his lance towards the door. Flames shot out of the lance head, igniting the carpet. Fata used the sudden noise to cover the sound of her gaining her feet. The Nazi soldier blocked her way, still holding a coat hanger and gaping at the bright flame. Fata elbowed him aside and ran for it. Her body had reverted back to its middle-aged state, but she was still a metahuman, and she didn't stop running until she had found her car. As she called 911 to put out an all-points bulletin, the spherical Nazi war machines floated into the night sky leaving the flames to consume the mill and the body of Dr. Dusk. Fata missed one of the perks of working for Echo, easy access to metahuman healers. Every Echo branch employed at least one, as if God had established a quota for those he blessed with the ability to lay hands. Given the loss of personnel, Fata hadn't hesitated to send her healer to New York. Now she fought her impatience with the paramedics who had met her at the Echo office. They wanted her to come to the hospital to test for a concussion. Fata assured them that if she felt any motion sickness or loss of mental acuity, they would be the first to know, and she shooed them out of her waiting room. Betty, folder in hand, watched the proceedings with a grim face. When the paramedics had left, she took a seat on the sofa next to Fata. Please, no paperwork right now, Fata groaned. 
The Air Force already tried to grill me about the trajectory of the war machines like I had any idea. I'll tell Tesla you're working on it. Betty patted the folder. But this is something entirely different. The tab read Ides of March. Shakespeare? No, no, sorry. It's my silly nickname for Matthew March's predictions. Seems appropriate. Predictions, huh? Fata opened the folder. Betty had transcribed the incomprehensible handwriting into clean laser-printed text. Poor guy. He was clearly unhinged, Betty said with a melancholy sigh. March was a clairvoyant. Autistic, maybe even crazy, but don't write him off. But look here. She pointed at a few sentences. Will this, will that. He was writing about the future, but that's impossible. I mean, even for a metahuman, right? I think he just went bonkers and thought he was Nostradamus, predicting doom and gloom. When you can make sense of it. Fata glanced through the pages. Sentence fragments, unrelated nouns, free associative images. Her head rang from doppelganger's strike. Give me the executive summary for now. Well, I'm not sure there is one. The only coherent bits that really stand out are at the end. She flipped the page. Here. Humanity chokes under an iron yoke forever. Evil hands enslave evil minds. Fire and blood, night and day die. Maybe he was channeling lyrics from a heavy metal album. Fata rubbed her temples. The weariness that had crept over her was so deep that she considered calling the paramedics back. Betty, should we write this off as a disturbed young man's suicide note? Betty shrugged. I'm an executive assistant, not a shrink. Girl, you practically run this place. Give me your opinion. Betty exhaled. Let it die with him. He shouldn't be remembered this way. As Fata closed the folder to hand it over, a word jumped out at her from the shuffling pages. She tugged it out of Betty's hand and opened to the page. Angel of Fire brings hope only in oblivion. Angel of Fire, Fata breathed. The Seraphim. She read further on the page. Another sentence called to her. Treachery claims the hidden doctor. The hidden doctor? That, that's Dr. Dusk, she told Betty. How did you miss this? I didn't... Sorry, I didn't catch it. Fata read the next line three times. Jesus, sweet Jesus, the mirage returns. The mirage, Betty, that's me. Well, he met you before, right? Maybe he's referring to a visit you paid him. I never saw him in person, Betty, not ever. I only saw him in video conferences with his handlers. Docs felt it was better to limit his interaction with people. He became agitated around strangers. So, returns? You come and go all the time. Fata held up her finger to emphasize her point and found her hand to be quivering. She closed it. My power came back. The mirage. Betty held her breath. That's two correct predictions, Fata said. But they're insane. I mean, the later ones, countries dying, people enslaved, flying saucers. 
Just because two random sentences came true doesn't mean the outlandish stuff is going to happen. Betty rubbed her hands together. It's just too far-fetched. I know, I know. Fata replaced the sheet. I'm going to study this. If I think there's something to it, I'll alert Tesla. Until then, mum's the word, right? Biting her lip, Betty nodded solemnly. I need more proof before I report to him. He already thinks I'm a religious nutjob, but if God spoke to this young man, the divine light can drive any mortal mind to madness. That doesn't mean this information is wrong, it's just under a layer of metaphor. Should you take it to a clergyman? God has a plan for all of us. Maybe he gave me back my power so that I would live to take his warning to the people. Fata's eyes moistened. I just have to be sure. The folder marked the Ides of March shook in her hand, as if ready to unleash its explosive message to the world, with or without her help. Lord help us. We have to be sure. <laughs>